Pick Sports Show. It's called that because my partner is Steve Mickelson in Las Vegas, Nevada of MixPicks.com. Two K's in Mix, two K's in Picks. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. You can call the show 888-989-9811. Email us rad at radradio.com. We get off the air yesterday after our hour of talking sports and everything hits the fan in 49er land uh, in a couple of different ways. And we had emails come in immediately, including Chuck, who wrote in, said uh, Coach Kyle Shanahan just fired his defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. Could this be an attempt to get the attention off of him? Andrew wrote in and said, I love the show that you guys are doing every day. It gets me my sports fix on my lunch break. Do you guys think that the 49ers are making Wilkes the scapegoat for the loss in the Super Bowl, or is this expected? After defensive coordinators like Salah and Ryans, who were always on the sideline, pumping up the defense to Wilkes, who distanced himself away from the defense by sitting in the booth to start the season, was more than a little curious to me. And he had to be told to be on the sideline after a sluggish start, which had me concerned. What I saw in the Super Bowl, the Niners did well in the first half, but came out in the second. And it looked like the D-line was taking a nap and completely collapsed in the last drive. In the end, where do the Niners go from here? Let's back it up. First thing that happened after we got off the air, Steve, you texted me. Because Anthony Lynn had stepped down as the assistant head coach and went to, as you said, a step way, way, way down. Not a lateral move. He went to the Washington Commanders, and right away, it seemed like your spidey senses were tingling. Yes. Anthony Lynn was the associated head coach for the 49ers, and he stepped away from the team to go be the running game coordinator for the Commanders. That is a huge step down, which makes you wonder there. Wilkes just got fired. But before all of this, my big question really towards the 49ers was that Shanahan came out and said that he told all of his coaches mm -hmm. to tell all the players of the overtime rules, and it was the coaches who failed. It wasn't him who failed to let the team know, and he rolled all of his coaching staff. Even if that's true, you as the head coach, you assume responsibility for everything that happens on your team, you need to ensure that your coaches have the players prepared to the best of their ability. That's why you're put in that position. So for me to see Shanahan roll the coaches to this extent, in addition, you know, it's that he's trying to get out of the line of fire. He's trying to pin it on other people. You know, I don't know. The Anthony Lynn one really shocks me because it's not a well, lateral move. No, It's a big step down and to the commander's. I you got to wonder. I, you got to believe Shanahan's feeling the heat, and he's just trying to get through this. Well, and this is this. There's a lot of pieces to try to put together for this because this does all stem from the fallout over Shanahan's ultimate decision to defer to the analytics team. Every every NFL team, in case you don't know, they have an analytics team, and they analyze the analytics. But analytics are predicting future behavior by past behavior, and the analytics team of the 49ers they had been tasked with: if the Super Bowl ends with overtime, what do we do? And they said, well, the stats say, take the ball if you win the coin toss. Uh, and, and what a lot of us said in the moment was, why give Patrick Mahomes, what if you don't score a touchdown, which the Niners didn't, why give Patrick Mahomes the ball, you know what he's going to do, and then he went on to do it. But Shanahan did defer to analytics, 
in the end. And so the, to one of the questions of is he trying to get the attention off of him, I, 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 what I think with the Anthony Lynn story, now that immediately afterwards they do announce that they've, defired, uh, they've fired the defensive coordinator, Wilkes, is did Anthony Lynn feel what was going on? And the other, the other, the other greasy, squeezy thing about this, Steve, is that Shanahan in his press conference on Tuesday said that, his, it, that he hadn't had his exit interviews yet, but he expected his entire coaching staff to be back. Then yesterday hits, and Anthony Lynn leaves of his own volition, and they fire Wilkes. That's, that's just a, that's weird to, to begin with. And Anthony Wilkes, I wasn't impressed with the job he did with the Niners' defense. He's not the reason they lost the Super Bowl. And it does feel like the coaches saw him, heard him roll them, as you say. Anthony Lynn said, fine, I'm out of here. I don't want to be part of this environment. And Shanahan decided, hey, if I fire Wilkes, that's what everybody's going to be talking about, which they were. That was the lead story on all the sports shows yesterday. I don't know that it gets the heat off of Shanahan from the sports media, from the fans, and I'm glad there's there's heat on Shanahan. I agree. I think he deserves it. The fact that he comes out and says he expects all the coaches to be back, you know, that's where I start wondering, did Lynch have a role in this? Because normally a coach is going to say, we're going to, you know, we're going to have our exit interviews. We're going to evaluate our staff. We're going to make some decisions and how we proceed you don't really come out and say we're going to have everyone back prior to those exit interviews if you're thinking of getting rid of anyone uh, and that's where maybe it's not Shanahan who got rid of Wilkes maybe it was upper management said look the the guy's got to go you're going to have to make some changes because we don't like the way the season ended but regardless you know ultimately it goes to Shanahan he's the head coach the Anthony Lynn one, that's the one to me that really makes me shake my head. Uh, and it came out, he left prior to Wilkes getting fired. Mm -hmm. And he left shortly after Shanahan rolled the entire coaching staff yeah. of the 49ers. And to me, that was Anthony Lynn going, hey, look, I'm, I'm getting out of here while I can still go get a job. It may not be what I have but I'd rather be employed than unemployed, so let's go find something. Yeah, calls Dan Quinn, his buddy, and says, hey, man, I, you got any openings at all? Because I like the culture you're creating better than the one that I'm in, whether he overtly says that. And there was also another an interesting twist to this. On Monday, uh, former NFL quarterback Jay Cutler, he was on some podcast, he was talking about the decision that Shanahan made to take the ball in overtime. And he said that he couldn't believe what he was seeing in real time and he said, quote, you're going to give Patrick Mahomes the ball second and give him four downs. Someone's getting fired. That was Jay Cutler on Monday. And sure enough, Wednesday hits, and we've got one leaving and a defensive coordinator who had nothing to do with the decision getting fired. And it it does it it feels like there is trouble in Niner Nation. And I can't tell to your point, is it is it this is Lynch and Shanahan teaming up to take the heat off of them, which is what I expect it is, or is there more chaos than that? You know, I, I'm not surprised by the Wilkes being fired. You, you know, you had Sala, um, you know, you, you, you had your defensive coordinators and your defensive philosophy and scheme, and Wilkes didn't seem to follow that. So he sure. kind of went into his own thing, and I don't think that sat well with the 49ers. You're not going to, when you are – arguably the best team in the NFL, you're not going to fire your defensive coordinator through the season. So the Wilkes firing doesn't surprise me at all. But go back to what you just said, that the 49ers made the decision 
to give Patrick Mahomes the ball second, knowing the outcome he had to have, and they felt that was their best position to be in, to let Patrick Mahomes dictate whether you win or lose, that's an insane thought if you really sit down and mm -hmm. think about it. You never want to give Patrick Mahomes, he knows what he has to do, I'm giving him the football, and, you know, he, he's there and all he has to do is make what he already knows he needs to do happen. That's crazy. Um, and this might be a little crazy, too, because to the emailer's point, I forget because I buried his email. Oh, it was Andrew. The last thing he asked, in the end, where do the Niners go from here? I don't know if he's asking specifically about the defensive coordinator or if he's talking about the 30,000-foot view. So I'll focus on the defensive coordinator thing because I don't I don't disagree with your assessment of Wilkes in any way. It, it, I'm, I'm with Andrew. The defense didn't feel right the whole season until it did in the midseason, and Andrew's got it right, after he was ordered down to the sideline for a little while. Um, and then it just never was the, the defense that it should have been. But the question becomes where the Niners go from here. Now, the Bay Area media is in, is in group think mode, and they've got two names that they say the Niners should go after. And, of course, the wet dream one is would Bill Belichick be willing to be your defensive coordinator for a year i just i don't see that happening i mean put yourself in kyle shanahan's spot mm -hmm. and belichick's coming in as your defensive coordinator if he has success i'm probably out of a job if we don't have success i'm out of a job regardless so yeah. if i'm shanahan i'm like look if this is really the direction you want to go just bring him in be the head coach i will step aside right now I will sit out the year. I know I will get a job elsewhere because Kyle Shanahan, when he leaves the 49ers, if he does leave the 49ers, is going to get a job. There's yeah. no doubt about that. He will get another head coaching job. But if I'm Shanahan, there's no way I'm allowing Belichick to be my defensive coordinator. Agreed entirely, especially if I'm right, that Belichick would never take that position unless he had what he put in place in New England in reverse. The clause in his contract that said, I'm next man up, if and when Shanahan leaves, thinking exactly the way you're thinking, I'm going to have this gig by 2025 at the latest. And then the other name they're throwing around. We talked last week about there are guys who are just great coordinators. The, the list is endless of great coordinators, Norv Turner, uh, who are terrible head coaches. Dan Quinn might wind up being on that list eventually. Where would we put terrible head coach but possible defensive coordinator candidate for the 49ers Brandon Staley. You know, Brandon Staley was an awful head coach, but if I'm the 49ers, I'm looking for a head coach, well, the defensive coordinator that stays with the D'Amico Ryans, the Salas, you know, philosophy. The team has the players. That's the belief. I I'm willing to go into a linebacker's coach. I just need mm -hmm. somebody who knows that defense is comfortable with it and can continue doing what the 49ers have been doing for the last several years. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want anybody who's going to come in and make changes. So even if I got to go down to like a D backs coach or a linebackers coach, I'm finding the person that understands that defensive philosophy the best and is able to execute it. And that's my next defensive coordinator. The fury uh, or furor, I guess, uh, over the, the, the post loss thing, um, it is because of the timing and because of the way the Niners lost the Super Bowl could be missing the bigger point here, which is when we step back and we we agree that Wilkes just he wasn't the right fit. 
Well, then, and the Anthony Lynn thing is weird. I, I, I'm with you on that. Let's, but if we focus, focus on the woke side, at least the Niners are immediately not sitting on their laurels. They got to the Super Bowl. They should have won it. They lost. They are immediately making changes. The changes have to be the right ones, which brings me to something no one is asking, and I'm not suggesting it. I'm just asking. Is there a chance at all that the conversation will be had between general manager John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan about also bringing in an offensive coordinator, which the Niners do not have? That is what Kyle Shanahan does, basically. I'm not sure the 49ers are really going to go to that extent. The thing that I like about the whole thing is John Lynch is your general manager. He's the architect of this team. He's the one responsible for bringing in the talent, et cetera. I like the fact that he's not sitting pat. There Mm -hmm. is that pressure that's being put on Kyle Shanahan from the media. But with some moves that are happening I got to believe that John Lynch is also not content with the way the season ended and he's making moves and having conversations, you know, even if they're uncomfortable with Shanahan and the direction of the team, because as they're tied to the hip, you know, if Shanahan crashes and burns here, you know, Lynch does as well. So Lynch has got to establish himself that, look, I am the leader of this team. I am the GM. I'm the one who orchestrates this whole thing. And I don't like the direction you're going and you need to fix it. And these are, you know, ideas and and things we're going to do to fix it. So I love the fact that it appears that Lynch is getting much more heavily involved, and it's not just the Kyle Shanahan. One other uh, one other story as the as the these trickle out in the post Super Bowl loss is is it's not there's nothing egregious about this in my opinion. It just doesn't age well. Uh, yesterday it came out that San Francisco 49ers were heard mocking Patrick Mahomes during the Super Bowl, uh, calling him just a regular quarterback, saying there ain't nothing different about him. In particular, 49ers safety to Sean Gibson could be heard branding the Chiefs superstar a regular effing quarterback. We're going to make his ass look regular. And then, of course, Mahomes does what Mahomes does, and then Mahomes used this yesterday um, at the uh, celebratory parade and said uh, a line of something like, I'm just a regular old quarterback. I don't have any problem with the Niners on their sideline to each other Pump, uh, pumping each other up, saying, hey, see, he, he, he ain't Superman. We're, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you got to be able to back up your smack talk because you just look dumb when it all comes out. Yeah, you got to be able to back it up. You know, it ain't bragging if you can do it, but I, I do have a little bit of an issue with it because, hey, a regular quarterback, so you're telling me <laughs> that Patrick Mahomes is Derek Carr. That's essentially what you're saying with that comment. You know, you're not the worst quarterback in the league. You're definitely not an elite quarterback. You're Derek Carr. Well, to me, that's telling me that Gibson either doesn't ever watch game film, you know, or he doesn't understand what he's seeing because anybody who's sat and watched any games that Patrick Mahomes has played knows that he is an elite quarterback. The the comment should have been more of the, you know, he may be great, but we're better. We're going to take him down. We're going to make him look like a regular quarterback. But the way he said it to me is like, dude, do you not watch film? Do you not understand what Patrick Mahomes is? I mean, again, I keep going to the Derek Carr comparison going, you actually believe that Mahomes and Derek Carr are equal. I don't believe so. Couldn't it just be he's just caught up, though? He's, I don't think he's trying to do what you and I do, where, you know, where we analyze and we, 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 we have to be objectively honest about uh, how great Mahomes is. He's just trying to amp up his teammates and saying, see, we're making him look regular. I, I, I would bet, right, if we asked him, if we pulled him aside, go, you, you don't really think he's 
Derek Carr level. Goes, no, of course not. I mean, right? I, it, you see, I think you're doing what I did the other day with the announcer thing. You're 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 over. You're getting over analytical here about this. I don't think you met I, it. I, I mean, I get it, but again, understand who you're talking about. You don't sit there and golf and John Rom's having a bad round going, oh, I'm as good as John Rom. <laughs> He's just a regular golfer. He's okay. nothing. Okay. I could beat him because he happens to shank a shot into the woods or something. I mean, you have to respect the player and what they've done on the field. And I don't think anybody's going to sit there and say, you know, Michael Jordan, yeah, he's a regular guy. He's really not that good. So I get the we're going to make him look like a regular guy. And I get the getting caught up in the moment, but come on. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to be 20 to 30 seconds on this next thing. As you hear me go into it, don't feel like you have to walk away, change the station or anything. Steve and I do want to, and I'll let Steve confirm that I've got this right acknowledge and nothing more the tragic events at the Kansas City uh, Chiefs uh, celebratory parade yesterday. We acknowledge it, and it's an awful thing for everyone involved, and we hope that everyone heals from it. From there, we go back to doing what we do for the reasons that Steve and I discussed yesterday. This show is what we wish sports was all about. No politics, no debates. It is not time for the sports world to be worrying about guns, rights, mental health, etc. Sports should be an escape. Sports should be a distraction. And that's what we try to do with this show. It is not meant in any way to be callous or cold. There are plenty of other people who can analyze those things. And because politics have already infected our sports, we don't want to contribute to it. Is that a fair assessment of where we're at, Steve? Absolutely. All right, let's get to this email that I promised we would do yesterday. Uh, Richard wrote in, as we're taking a look moving forward uh, to the NFL season, we're covering all the sports. The NFL is still hot in everybody's mind uh, less than a week after the Super Bowl. And so Richard says, Rob and Steve, I want to hear your thoughts on the Raiders, coaching, who they should draft, current players, et cetera. The other day, Steve, I think it was Monday, you, uh, it was Monday, you, made, you comically said at the end of the, the, the show, as you were comparing the Raiders to the other teams in their division, the uh, Broncos with Sean Payton, the Chiefs who just won the Super Bowl, the Chargers with Jim Harbaugh and Justin Herbert, I, and, and you said it didn't look good, and I said, well, what could the Raiders do? And your comical retort was uh, petition the NFL to be moved to another division. Uh, Gary uh, was joining us that day, our friend and husband of Dawn of Rad Radio, and when we got done with the show, Gary said, okay, you got to ask Steve, which division would – Steve moved the Raiders to where they could be competitive. So I ask you that half in jest and then say, do you really, are you really that down on the Raiders for this next season? The NFC South. Let's go play with the Falcons, uh, the Panthers, the Saints, and the Buccaneers. Take our shot. <laughs> you know, this is the way the Raiders a couple of years ago, I felt that they were actually better than any of those teams in that division. And, and if you roll back to our prior shows at the time, I said, they're going to finish fourth in their division but yet they're good enough team to win a couple of other divisions in the NFL. One being that NFC South. It, it's just, it's unfortunate with, you know, and we see it over the years, different divisions get stronger, get weaker. But right now you look at that AFC West and, and it's loaded with head coaches, you know, talented players. One of the things I always try to look at is your quarterbacks and, and, you know, out of your division, obviously you want to have the best quarterback in your division, but what are we looking at right now? Aiden O'Connell, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, you, you're even Russell Wilson. I'm sorry. I put ahead of those guys. So you're sitting at fourth place with your division. You look at the head coaches and I believe they're Andy Reid, Jim Harbaugh, Sean Payton, I think you're fourth place in head coach. It's just, it's a bad situation there. 
They need to get some talent. They need to move forward. I thought Max Crosby had an outstanding season last year. I was disappointed he didn't get more votes for the defensive player of the year. But they got a lot of things they got to do. I, I feel for Antonio Pierce. I'm glad they made him the head coach and took the interim label off. But that's a big hill to climb. And so since uh, Rick asked specifically about coaching, uh, I was going to point out that even though we would have to rank, you have to put Antonio Pierce fourth out of four in terms of coaching. We both love the hire. So the it's not so much coaching. And look, here's another positive thing, Steve, right? GM Tom Telesco built that Chargers roster. I, I just, you're right about the quarterback, and I'm not sure which direction the Raiders are going to go. You mentioned, you know, you mentioned the name. I don't think you mentioned it happening, but Russell Wilson is supposed to be available. I don't know what the Raiders have to offer for some of these things, but do the Raiders go out and try to get some? Depending on where they land in the draft and the quarterbacks are available, do they do they sign? Do they trade for somebody like a Russell Wilson? Do they sign Joe Flacco? Do they just get somebody in there? And, and try to solidify the position for the year while they start to build out the roster. Well, one of the things I would look at is I would be talking to the Bears, go find out, you know, what's the asking price mm. for Justin Fields? You know, he's a stopgap until maybe I can get something down the road. Justin Fields isn't a bad quarterback. He can run if you have a bad offensive line, which the Raiders seem to have had this last year. He's able to get out of the pocket, keep plays alive. He's a decent throwing quarterback. He just really hasn't been in a system that has fit him to what his talents are. So I'd be looking at, let's go get a Justin Fields. Even if you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round to give that quarterback a little bit of time and you know you have something with Fields, but, but you need to address the offensive line. That secondary mm. crew is bad. They got to find some guys who can tackle in the secondary you know, it's not just Max Crosby, which really is what that defense was for the most part. But you got to give the Raiders time. If you think that they're going to bring in the new coach, the new general manager, and they're immediately this next year going to be a playoff team, you're mistaken. You have to give them time to develop. He's got to have a couple of good drafts to put you on the right path. We've seen what two good drafts with the Texans have done, and they then made the playoffs won a playoff game. So you got to give them two years of the draft in order to really have higher expectations for this team. While you were talking, I had a thought, which I think I've talked myself out of it, but I'll still say it out loud. When you brought up Justin Fields, I thought, well, you know what would be an even less expensive idea? What about calling the Cowboys to see about Trey Lance? And, you know, I thought the Cowboys were the fourth round flyer on that. To, to me, it was a great pick. I'm not sure that the Cowboys will go there because I believe Dak Prescott's in his last year mm -hmm. of his contract. So they might have Trey Lance sitting there saying, look, two years of watching in our system, learning our system. We could let Dak Prescott, who's 45 million or whatever he is per year, go when he becomes a free agent we can move on to trey lance which is going to cost us less money as we saw the packers do with jordan love and granted if trey lance has a good year or two obviously he then is going to have to get paid but it allows you to reset that salary at the quarterback position at a player that's had two years in your system so for me if i'm the cowboys there's no chance in the world i'm moving on from trey lance we'll take a break and be back after this mix picks the Mix Pick Sports Show. Let's go! Let's go right to your uh, body of work, Steve. Uh, most of your career spent managing sports books. This uh, story just crossed uh, ESPN. Tiger Woods is back 
uh, to play this weekend at the Genesis Invitational. Headline Tiger Woods Returns sees huge betting influx for the Genesis. Uh, as the saying goes, they write, Tiger Woods doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. BetMGM says that Woods garnered a tournament leading 8% of their tickets. ESPN bet 6.5%. Every sports book is seeing increased action according to uh, the story, even though Tiger is a 125 to 1 to win the Genesis Invitational. You've talked about this before. When Tiger plays, people bet. Yeah, and it's not just people betting on Tiger Woods. It just seems to bring the interest in those tournaments just increases greatly. I'm surprised when they're saying 8% and 6%. I'd have said it had been closer to like 15 to 20% on Tiger Woods. But it is incredible how even now he's a non-factor you know, no one really expects him to win a tournament. We all just hope he will, you know, win a tournament or two and become competitive again. But the people, and I would think you see it with TV ratings too, when Tiger Woods is playing, everyone has an interest in that tournament. And again, it's not just on Tiger Woods. It's just the betting of that tournament overall when he plays substantially increases. Speaking of sports betting, we got this email from Adam, uh, R-A-D at radradio.com. He says, Rob, I would like to thank Steve for his pick on the Sacramento Kings versus Suns game. He said the line of the Suns minus six and a half was too high, winner. And then I rolled that into the Kings versus Nuggets last night on the Kings money line, winner again. Thank you, Steve. The Kings come from behind victory that I didn't see because I did that horrible sports fan thing. They're down by 16. Eh, I got some other stuff I, I got to do. The Kings, eh, they're not going to come back. Not that I don't believe in the Kings, but it's 16, and they're on the road, and they come back. Another big game from De'Aaron Fox, which is great after all the, 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 the slings that were coming his way for a few games there. He's had two good games in a row. Kings needed it to stay a, a game ahead of the surging Lakers. I thought that was a great way to go into the break. Yeah, it was a great comeback win. I'm going to get in a little bit of trouble here because, <laughs> you know, the big turning point of this game was Jokic felt he got fouled. The refs didn't call it. He ended up getting teed. Malone, the head coach, got teed. And it really changed that entire game from that point on. I think the Kings went on a 10-0 run right after that. and Pretty much it was close through it. it you know, I, I know the Kings announcers are like, look, that was a good no call. I, I have a problem with it. I, I felt it was a foul. I felt that Jokic was right. It should have been called. And that's where I'm going to get a little backlash here. But, you know, the defender had his hand on his chest. Yes, we cannot determine how hard he pushed him. But there's a big difference between going up and trying to contest a shot, hitting a hand, hitting an arm, hitting a wrist, versus he's going up for a shot and I'm putting my hand on his chest, which, you know, the only intention there is to hopefully slightly disrupt his shot so he misses it i felt it was a foul it was the huge swinging point but credit to the kings the nuggets came back i believe they even took the lead again uh late in that game nuggets fought great win for the kings i, I just i had a little problem with that no call so uh, i don't want to uh, well I, i'm just going to do what sports talk uh, people do uh, i'm going to make an, ex an exorbitant exaggerated uh, supposition from from one game the Celtics, I realize they've got the best record in the NBA. They go out and they beat the Nets by 50 points. And is it are, are we at the point, Steve, where we need to say that it's the Celtics and everyone else? Are they that good? 
No, I think the Celtics are the class out of the East, but I'm not convinced that the Nuggets and the Clippers aren't better than the Celtics. The Celtics, to me, still have to prove it. They had a good season last year. They collapsed in the playoffs, and I want to see them make a deep run, you know, but to me, they are the class of the East. You know, last night they win by 50, and if you look at it, what, Derek White and uh, Pritchard led their team in scoring, so it wasn't even the Jalen Brown, you know, Tatum, type that you would expect but you know the Celtics are really good but they need to prove some stuff they're playing the Brooklyn Nets and they played the night before and they only beat the Nets by eight so you know you got to look at the two games the first game was competitive last night's was not did you just drop your Western Conference power rankings and go Nuggets one Clippers two I'd probably go Clippers one, Nuggets two, but I think those are the top two teams in the West. Clippers one, really? Yes, Clippers are playing great basketball. You know, Kawhi was out yesterday in that game, and they still won. Paul George got, you know, fouled out of that game late. They still beat the Warriors, who had led pretty much the whole game. Uh, Powell hit some big key threes late in that game to propel the Clippers to that win. It was a good win for the Clippers being shorthanded and the Warriors to me. Yes, they'd won five straight playing great basketball, but it just to me shows the Clippers really are a much better team. And if I'm the Warriors, it's that, you know, I just don't think they have it. So if it's Clippers one, because of how great they're playing now in nuggets two. How do we round out the top five with one specific caveat? OKC, Minnesota, the Suns, and if it's based on how they're playing now, are the Lakers jumping up on your power rankings, even though we've been saying they're not going to do it? Uh, Well, I look at the Clippers, Nuggets. I would probably put the, man, it's tough between the Wolves (laughs) and the Thunder because I I like both of those teams a lot. 3A, 3B. Uh, the, the Mavericks, to me, I thought they did really well going out and getting Washington and Gafford. They got some big guys in there, and I want to see how they fit in there. So I think it's more like the Wolves, Thunder, kind of sitting at three, and then I'm down to the, the Mavericks, the Suns, the Kings, I think at four. I think the Kings are better than the Lakers and the Warriors. I think the Lakers Warriors are a notch below that. I'd like to see the Kings get a little bit more strength in their bench. Uh, The Pelicans, it really comes down to Zion Williamson and if he can stay healthy and if he's going to be able to, you know, make a run. Phoenix for me is they got to have their big three, Beal, uh, Booker, and Durant. And if they do, they're a really good team but they're not explosive when they only have two. They still lack some size in there in the middle to compete with these teams. And that's the reason, even though you look at it and go, the Suns have those three, they haven't been healthy all season together. And I, I just think there are some questions inside with that team. So I can't put the Suns up with the elite either. So as we head into six and in the Kings case, seven games or seven days off here for the all-star break. Um, do, do you see an opening, Steve? for the Kings to rest, get well, have a big second half, and how far can they go? Because Kings Nation is still amped up from last season and getting as far as they did into the playoffs, believing that they were going to go further this year. Do you see an avenue for that happening? I think if they're able to to increase their bench depth, uh, I could see them being three. You know, I, I could see them easily being with the Wolves and the Thunder, you know, in that spot. The, the Suns just have to get healthy and have those guys playing consistently. And they need to play together for a little bit before they get in the playoffs. So I can see the Kings 
everything lining up to be able to get to three. I just, unless there's some injuries with the Nuggets and the Clippers, I just don't see them being able to make that next step to be a one or a two in the line. All right, we got this email, rad at radradio.com, and it's, it, it takes us back to uh, the NFL. We were talking about the Niners and the Shaw, the Shanahan call, and then we previewed the Raiders a little bit. Um, and they, there's a lot of this going on. And so uh, Robert wrote in, and he said, I've been scrolling my Facebook feed, and I came across someone saying that the Niners' Brandon Ayuk wants out of San Francisco and saying that he wants to play for the Raiders. Just wanted to share and get your thoughts. I can't find the I want to play for the Raiders quote in a very quick search. I I, I do know where this is coming from because it's all over when you Google uh, Ayuk out for the 49ers or whatever. What happened is he is heading into his fifth and final year. We talked a little bit about this earlier this week of his uh, rookie contract. And he, but he led the team in everything. Uh, he, he, they don't, you don't mention Ayuk as much as McCaffrey and Debo and Kittle, but Ayuk led the Niners in everything. And, and so he was asked if he hopes to remain with the 49ers. And Ayuk's answer was, quote, if that's the right move, yeah. And we're doing what we do. We're taking that quote and we're saying, whoa, he didn't say, absolutely, I want to stay with the 49ers. This thing about, him going to the Raiders, I've got to do more research. I, that would be a very odd uh, landing spot for him. Um, I it feels like that's more of a they, that I mean that look. How did he say it? I mean that's the right answer. Yeah, if it's the right move, if I'm going to get paid, and if it's the, what, are we making too big a deal out of this? Well, the quote that you've read, that's the one I've seen from him is, yes, you know, I got to see if it's the right move for me. I do know that a friend of his also tweeted out or or whatever it came out and was making comments shortly after the Super Bowl of ah this is why you know Ayuk wants to get out of there etc but that wasn't Ayuk saying these things it was a friend of his you know he needs to get paid he should have been more a part of that 49ers offense he wasn't he's you know the great wider you know those kind of implications so the only thing I've seen that Ayuk has said is you know he's basically going to evaluate you know, what's best for him. And and if it's with the Niners, he'll stay. If not, he'll test free agency. But I don't see the 49ers moving on from him next year. He is under contract for his fifth year. He is going to get a substantial pay raise with that fifth year option being exercised. And, you know, so I'm in the 49ers. I'm not moving on because I don't believe you can get anyone who's going to be better than him. I'll evaluate a season, and then we'll figure out where he's going to go in the future. We had the uh, story the other day, too, where John Lynch was saying out loud that he wanted to get this taken care of and that there is a way uh, with under the salary cap to where they will load Ayuk's uh, hit against the cap down the road when other hits have gone away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all salary cap stuff. So uh, apparently the, the Raiders connection – is twofold. It's, he's a Nevada native, and there's been some type of cryptic messaging from Ayuk's girlfriend as well, which is kind of connecting things to why you'd want to play for the Raiders. But when when Ayuk, later in that same quote I originally read, he goes on to talk about he wants to be a champion. In fact, he was asked what would make it the right move to sign with the Niners or anyone else. He said being a champion. Well, you're not looking to Las Vegas for that anytime in your early career. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen in the next three to five years under any circumstances unless the Raiders can, you know, strike a jackpot in two or three straight drafts and be able to, you know, have some great free agent signings. You know, this is one of my complaints is is when the media and and us people, we we take what others are saying because 
I, really, I'm a person. I just want to hear what the player has to say. I, I don't want to hear from girlfriends, <laughs> high school buddies, all these other things. And yes, they may be in their circle, but you know what? If it doesn't come from the person's mouth themselves, I, I just personally, I just don't want to hear it. One of your favorite times of the year is upon us. Pitchers and catchers and other players reporting for spring training. We have news from MLB after this. Mix Picks, the Mix Picks Sports Show. We got one here from Logan says, Rob or Steve, have you ever been to spring training in Arizona? I'm going next month and I am so excited. It's one of the sporting events that I, I never I never got to. It was never super high on my list, even though I, I, I do know two people who have both done it in Arizona. That it's been more than a decade, though. They said it was a blast. They had a ton of fun. You're, you're so much closer to the players. It's more intimate. The fans that are there, by their experience, are real fans. Um, you do get a lot of the, especially now more than ever, a lot of the autograph seekers that are just going to turn around and sell them and, and such. But have you ever have you ever done the spring training thing, Steve? I've done it for multiple years. It's one of my favorite things to do when my kids were younger. Uh, we would go to Phoenix uh, really during the March break of the tournament, you know, after the, the uh, when we get down to the final four and into the championship game, we would go there for that week leading up to the final four. It's fantastic. I love it. It's one of my favorite sporting events I've been to. Uh, what we used to do is we would buy not the grass seats and that, but we would buy the cheapest seats we would get and understand this has been a while ago. And then you would, after the first inning, you'd move in and you'd sit down because a lot of the seats were bought by companies, corporations. So they were open. I also like to go later in spring training because you see more of the, you know, the top players playing. It's not just all the minor league players, but to give you a story, I, I went to a Cubs game and I'm sitting down and, and this is the stuff you'll get only at these games. And I'm sitting down next to pick the seats and it happened to be next to two of the Cubs, like top scouts. Hmm. And at the time, Kerry Wood had just been coming up and they were talking about how Kerry Wood's motion was going to lead to a major injury, which is what we saw. But he was so good. They didn't want to tinker it. They were just monitoring it, making sure that, you know, he would do what he was going to do, you know, before he broke down. And then after he broke down, then they were going to make these changes. And that's stuff you just don't get. You don't get it a regular game or anything like that. You know, a buddy of mine back years ago, he sat down next to Larry Boa, you know, when he was managing the the Padres. And Boa just went up in the seats and was talking to baseball to all the different fans and all that. It, it's a wonderful experience. I would, I would ask everyone who's a huge baseball fan, you got to try it. I don't know if that's still the way it is today, but back in the day when I would go and I absolutely loved it, you, you never knew who you were going to be sitting next to and the conversations you could get into. That Carrie Wood story is fantastic to see the palace intrigue of the scouts saying, we know this guy is not in for the long haul, but he's so powerful and good. We're going to let him dominate until he can't anymore. That you that's, that's stuff that never even leaks out. That is so great to have experienced that. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and again, I would take my kid, and I remember uh, one of the games we're watching the Mariners play. There was a relief pitcher named Jose Paniagua, and my son was little. I want to say he was like three years old. 
And Jose Paniagua was like playing with my son through the chain link fence, you know, goofing around with him and all that stuff. And next thing you know, he gets called. To, so he goes and warms up in the bullpen right there. And then when he finishes warming up, they're taking him into the game. He walks over, he hands the ball to my son. My, my son absolutely loved it. It was one of the coolest things. But the players would interact with my kids during the game. You're never going to get that in a regular season game because you're never close enough. And these are the experiences that I have and memories I have of spring training, which makes it just so fond of memories for myself and my family. I'd like to say we're going to do some news about baseball, but the first story is the most non-news news story yesterday. Josh Hader, who was clearly like the the closer that was on the free agent market this offseason. San Diego Padres last year had one of his best seasons. He converted 33 of 38 save chances, a 1.28 ERA, and the thing with Hader is these strikeout stats that are insane. 56 in the third innings, 85 strikeouts in his career, 388 innings, 648 strikeouts. So the non-news news part of this is that for some reason, MLB.com, ESPN.com had to banner headline the fact that Josh Hader has been named the closer for the Astros and incumbent Ryan Presley will move into a setup role and that manager Joe Espada met with both. Well, of course he's going to be the closer. My question for you, Steve, is where do the Astros fall? We talked a little bit about them uh, yesterday. You were saying, look, the Dodgers are clearly the best team. The Braves are right there. And where do the Astros perennially, are we looking at yet another run into the into the World Series? I think absolutely they have that chance. I would put them right with the Yankees sitting at like three and four in the power rankings. You know, with Josh Hader, the thing about him is he's only going to go one inning and he's a dominating relief pitcher, but he's left-handed. Mm -hmm. So where it's that he's going to be the closer, I don't read that as he's only going to be pitching the ninth inning because if he's in a key situation in the eighth inning, I find it hard to believe with Ryan Presley sitting there as well, who's been the Astros closer, that they're not going to put Josh Hader in that high you know, intensity situation against a top left-handed hitter that they're not going to be using him sometimes in the eighth inning to get through those critical parts of the lineup and then go to Presley in the ninth. So, yes, you know, he is their closer, but I think he's going to be in the high situations, even in the eighth inning. So, uh, you know, I don't read a whole lot into that. Why is it in these power rankings for Major League Baseball as we head into the season? This is the second day in a row that, that we have not mentioned the world champs. Are, are, are the Rangers, are they out of the discussion to even make a run at back-to-back -back championships for you? No, I think the Rangers are right there. I just have them a little bit behind the Astros. I'd probably put the Rangers at five right now in my power rankings. Uh, you know, uh, DeGrom is still coming back. You got to wonder about the health of Scherzer. But this... Astros teams, a talented team, a really strong lineup. You got to hope that Corey Seager can stay healthy again. Uh, their third baseman rookie, his name eludes me at the moment, uh, but he had a really strong season last year. I like what the Rangers are doing. I love their manager. And, and if you remember, um, you know, when we did the baseball preview, the Rangers last year were my long shot. Mm -hmm. You know, not that they were a really long shot, but my long shot. I didn't think they'd win the World Series, but I'm like, I b felt that they would make the playoffs and that would be a team that would be really good that people weren't considering. But to me, it just, you know, you go into the manager, Bruce Bochy, to me, is one of the top managers in all of baseball. Yep. He took that Rangers team. He focused them. He got the job done, as he always did with the Giants. 
because you're never going to tell me with the Giants with their three World Series rings that they won that they were the best team in baseball in any of those three seasons. But he found a way to use that whole roster, make things happen. He put all the players in the best situation to succeed, and it hit playoff time, and he did a masterful job. We saw it again this last year with Texas winning the World Series. So for me, Bruce Bochy is one of the greatest managers in baseball. I always wince a little when leagues publicly come out and tell us, we're going to have our officials really focus on enforcement of this particular thing. It happens a lot in the NFL, and usually, anecdotally, the way it seems to me is that thing gets called a bunch, especially in, in the beginning of the season. And sometimes that's good, but a lot of times when it's clouded around player safety it leads to a bunch of calls that make you oh come on let them play so major league baseball had a, a, a conference call yesterday with all the managers because their big thing is to strictly enforce the obstruction rule and specifically around second and third base where the like second base the middle infielder will put his lower leg on the ground to block the runner's path to second at third base the infielder will move up the line to block the runner's path as, as he's taking the ball from the outfielder, and umpires have been instructed to call the runner safe due to obstruction unless the infielder must move into the path of the runner to receive the ball. And Major League Baseball is going to focus on this, and it is all under the guise of, of player safety. I, I'm not saying they shouldn't be calling calls that are already in the books because, again, this isn't a rule change. They're just saying, umps, do your job better on this. I wonder if it does make the umps almost have like a halo effect. They see it happening more often, and that's the only thing that bothers me about it. Yeah, my part is, is I've always believed in the self-correction of the game. You know, I watch a second baseman drop his knee down and he puts his leg in front of the bag. I'm not going head first. I'm going cleats first and I'm going to stick my cleat right into his leg because he's blocking <laughs> me going. That's going to self-correct. Yeah. That, that's the part that I, I never fully understand is just go cleats first. You can see it going to happen and don't go head first into that bag. You know, the other part of that I was reading is the the players like decoying, pretending they're getting a throw or trying to, you know, fake the runner out, believing the play is coming to the bag when it's not really even there. They're not getting the ball. But to me, man, we did that in Little League. That's been part of baseball forever. If you could get the runner thinking he's about to get tagged out, that was a great thing, but you can't impede them running the bases. You can't get their way. Those are interferences and those need to be called every time. And I would be more surprised at baseball saying, look, you're supposed to be enforcing this. If you're impeding my ability to get to the bag and I don't even have the ball, you should have been calling that all along. Why do you need the reminder to enforce the rules of the game? I love the juxtaposition of the same guy who yesterday is arguing why the fighting in hockey needs to be timid and trained down and tamped down for player safety is now advocating for cleats first to overcorrect the baseball system. <laughs> Well, that I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I mean, come on, think about it. it, it and you played baseball. Oh, yeah. You're going to stick your leg down, and, yes. and a guy comes in cleats first and sticks his cleat into your leg and, and draws a little blood. Aren't you going to think about it the next time? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I learned that lesson in Little League. We, you, you and I grew up at a different time, which is why I laughed the minute you said it, because that is what we did. And that is – that's look, it's like just to extrapolate it out, right, this is why – Kids need to learn what things hurt. Like, I, I I, was a young adult, actually. I sliced my thumb open on a tin can because I had opened it to feed my dog. I am, to this day, 40 years later or however long it's been, 
so careful around tin cans because it hurt and it it was deep. I remember, because I was a shortstop and a pitcher, I remember getting the cleats. Mine were to the thigh. Dude came in high on me. And I was, I was over the bag. I was right in position. And it hurt like hell. We were, because we were still playing with real cleats. And it hurt. And I was like, okay, I have to reposition this now. Oh, a absolutely. And I'm with you. You know, that's how we learn. You know, you make mistakes, you grow from it. You know, you got to get hurt a little bit. I mean, shoot. Rob, how many times did you ride your bike over like a built ramp or whatever it was? Oh, yeah. I mean, you lived off of this the whole summer long, but the second you bit it and you wiped up and, you know, cause it hurt and you scratched up your forearms, your hands, your face, your body. It's like, you know, maybe next time I'm not going to try to go jump that. Yeah. Or, or I'm going to learn to better balance. I got over my handlebars, went, went head first, forehead right onto the gravel, had, had little uh, pebbles in my forehead go home your mom's like you idiot and your dad's like well what did you do son and uh, did you lean too forward and you learn and you get oh this is these are great memories steve we'll be back tomorrow i'll talk to you then thank you <laughs> Mix. Sports Show.